This morning's reading is Romans 8, 22-27. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, it's a a miserable morning outside and yet we're so privileged to be here where it's warm. We thank you for Shirley Intermediate being a a home for our church family over these years and we thank you that now as brothers and sisters in Christ we can spend some time thinking about you Uh, and I pray that now uh, in this time it's fairly, I, I think it's hard going what we're looking at this morning so I pray especially that your spirit may illuminate our hearts and minds, that we may see the truth of who you are and what you've done so that things may change the way that we live. So please work with us now by your spirit, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Today is a a bit of an odd one, it feels like to me. If you're new or visiting, thanks for coming along, especially on a miserable morning. Um, And I wish I could say you're in for a treat. Uh, (coughs) I wish I could. Uh, What you've come into is a series that we've been doing for a few weeks now into some of the 39 articles. Our normal practice here at St Stephen's is to go bit by bit through the Bible, through books of the Bible, but every now and then we do a bit of a topical series and we're in the middle of that at the moment. And we've been looking at the 39 articles and today looking in particular at the sacraments. So this week we're down to look at the sacraments generally, then next week we're going to look at the first sacrament, baptism, and then the week after that, the other sacrament, which is the Lord's Supper, communion. So today is odd because it's part one of a three-part mini-series of another series, and we're thinking about the sacraments generally. And I've I've been wanting to say, I hope this has been true in this series, that although we're looking at doctrine, we're looking at theology, and you can go, oh, that sounds pretty heady and pretty boring, these things are imminently practical. They have implications for not just what we believe but how we live. There's always cash value. That's what I've been saying up until today. (laughs) Today it feels heavier, it feels a bit different because the practical cash value stuff will mainly come in the next two weeks as we look at baptism, as we look at the Lord's Supper. So today's a bit different because we're having to think of the sacraments generally but we have to do this, it's the best way to do it before we get on to baptism and the Lord's Supper. But before we think about the sacraments generally, I did want to say uh, just uh, something else about the 39 articles generally, because I'm aware that in this series I haven't really said much about them, about how they originated, what they are, that kind of thing. I think I mentioned in the first week that they're one of the three unchanging formularies that the Anglican Church in New Zealand has. Uh, So uh, even in, in our constitution it says even General Synod can't change the formularies. So this is one of those three formularies. What were the other two? The ordinal, which is the services of ordaining ministers. And what's the other one? Book of Common Prayer. We've got one Anglican here this morning. (laughs) Uh, So 
they're the formularies. That means that every Anglican minister signs assent to the constitution of our church, which means you sign assent to the three unchanging formularies, which means every minister agrees with the 39 articles. Theoretically. <laughs> That's the theory. Anyway, let me say a couple of things about why I'm a fan of them. The 39 articles, what they are at their heart is a, a kind of, they're brief, condensed statements about what the Anglican Church believes are the key aspects of Christian, the Christian faith. They're often written in accurate, precise language that needs to be understood because often they're addressing specific elements or controversies where that kind of exactness of language is necessary. Some of the articles are very positive and they assert what we believe. Some of them are more negative and declare certain beliefs and practices wrong. Both those aspects, I hope you know, are helpful. Sometimes it's very necessary to state the truth and to say certain things. Other times it's also necessary to say that certain things are wrong. Both those things can be done badly and wrong, but when they're done well, they're necessary and helpful. Uh, the, orig- the original title of the 39 Articles helps us understand the intent behind them. Here's the original title to the 39 Articles. Get ready. Articles agreed upon by the archbishops and bishops of both provinces and the whole clergy in the convocation holden at London in the year 1562, here's the key bit, for avoiding of diversities of opinion and for the establishment of consent to touching true religion. I don't know why they shortened it, but they did. Let me just read the key part out again. For avoiding of diversities of opinion and for the establishment of consent touching true religion. So catchy. Do you see what this is saying, the 39 Articles is about? To avoid diversities of opinion and to establish consent. What do we want to avoid diversity? I would have thought diversity is one of those key words and phrases today that's always a positive and there is a goodness to diversity but there also needs to be in any kind of agreement or arrangement basic understanding, basic agreement. I think of any arrangement where you bring together different people to do something. Could be a marriage, could be a a sports club, could be a business. There's going to be lots of things that we differ on. There's going to be lots of practical things that we will need to work uh, work out over time. There'll be lots of freedom, but there will also be some things that are so essential so foundational and fundamental, they're of the essence of the coming together, they're they're, they're the agreed upon basics. That's why we've got a marriage contract, which is pretty minimal, but there's certain things that are the essence of marriage. It's why we have uh, the rules of a particular club or a founding document with a business. Well, that's partly the 39 Articles role within the Anglican Church. And I think the 39 Articles are great in this space because... You can get, when you're doing this kind of thing, you can go to one of two extremes. You can, and the 39 Articles, I don't think, does it. You can either go to one extreme and so overstate everything. There's so many rules and restrictions and mandatory beliefs that it just becomes oppressive and controlling. Or you can go to the other extreme and just anything goes. Either extreme is no good in Christianity. There are things that are of the essence of our faith, truths that we need to agree upon and know and hold on to firmly and that get us through the storms of life without wavering. But there are also other areas in Christian belief and practice that are much more debatable and to lock them down is unhelpful and, uh, and sometimes, I think, totally inappropriate. I think the 39 Articles does a good kind of balance of that. 
Uh, the Westminster Confession, which, as you may know, that's the, the document like the 39 Articles that operates within the uh, Presbyterian Church. I think that's an amazing document and I love much of the theology in it, but it is chapters and chapters and chapters long. And I worry that for a document that's supposed to hold us together on the basics, there's too much in it. You need some kind of limitation on the foundational ones, which you lock down, and then giving freedom on a whole lot of others. Uh, 39 Articles does a good... You can see it, it does that even just in the number. They, they didn't even think, well, we'll come up with one more and make it 40. No, just 39. That's it. There's no symbolism there. Or Also, the language of the Articles, I think, is helpful in this space. Some of the articles, if you read through it, use words that are very clear, very certain, very direct, unambiguous, without any sense of hesitancy or doubt. We looked at one like that a couple of weeks ago with the resurrection. That's a good thing. Uh, we sometimes live in an age today where if you say something's right or something else is wrong, that's seen as narrow-minded or arrogant or intolerant and we can shy away from it. But again, there are some aspects of our Christian faith that are non-negotiable. And to not state them clearly and boldly like that is to dishonour the Lord who's given, given them to us. But there are other statements in the 39 Articles which are much more moderate in tone, much more open in, in terms of language. And again, I think that's necessary with certain topics in the Christian faith. Next week we're going to be looking at baptism. What could go wrong? There's a bit more flexibility in the baptism statement, as you would hope for. Uh, I think the 39 Articles gets the balance uh, right. So there's just a couple of reasons why I think they're a good thing for us to be looking at. So let's think about sacraments then. And first thing we need to recognise and say straight away, sacraments are a Latin word, not a biblical word. So when, we, when, when we're talking about sacraments, we're not, we didn't get a reading where it outlines what the sacraments are and what we should think of them. That's why the sacraments have been pretty difficult over the years. It's a Latin word. When I'm using it today, I'm talking about the two sacraments that the Anglican Church believes in. That's baptism and the Lord's Supper, communion. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. But even that's controversial and we'll look at that in a, in a moment. But do you see it's linked with what we looked at last week? Last week, if you were here, we looked at what is the church, according to the Anglican Church. Now we look at what's the function of the church, what's the ministry of the church. And last week we saw that the Anglican Church holds two aspects of church life above other parts of it. What were the two aspects that were focused on especially? Preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments. Those are the two aspects that we kind of separate from the others. And we see that in the articles. We see that reflected. John, can we just have Article 23? should be behind me. Have a look at Article 23. It backs it up straight away. Of ministering in the congregation. And it says, It is not lawful for any person to take on the office of public preaching or ministering the sacraments in the congregation before they lawfully be called and sent to execute the same. And those we ought to judge lawfully called and sent, which be chosen and called to this work by people who have public authority given unto them in the congregation to call and send ministers into the Lord's vineyard. Now, I'm not going to go into all of that today, but you can see the, 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 big, the big point of it, right? It restricts those who will do public preaching and administering the sacraments in the congregation. It's not talking about privately, but it is talking about in the congregation. Why? Because these things are thought to be so important, a high bar is given for those to do it. They need to be called and sent by others within the church. 
Uh, often in the Anglican context what we do is we, 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 we send them away to train and ordain. But there's a high bar for those that are going to minister the word or minister the sacraments. So this is a good topic to look at because as a church we obviously think the sacraments are important because we separate people off to do the job. But let me give you an even more important reason it's a good topic to look at or an, uh, an important one to look at. How much controversy and division has occurred within Christendom over this topic? Think about it. How much blood has literally been spilled over these issues? Fights and controversies have raged over baptism and over the Lord's Supper. So the next two weeks should be brilliant. <laughs> we'll unite. We'll sort out all the problems which has plagued humanity. And No, it's going to be difficult. There's massive issues and difficulties that people have got with baptism and with the Lord's Supper. Different understandings, different beliefs and some of them go to the heart of who we think God is and who we think we are and so everything's on the line. Who should be baptised and in what manner? What is happening at the Lord's Supper? Do you have a table or do you have an altar? Are clothes required or not re- Not clothes required? I think we're all united that clothes should be required. Are robes required or not? <laughs> we could go on and on, but I think we need to stop. Uh, we need to get to grips with some of this stuff. It's important stuff. We've got denominations based around certain understandings of exactly these things. And so as Christians, we don't want to shy away from that. We, know, we may not be able to get to, you know, work out exactly it, but we don't want to shy away from that. We want to think about it. Think about areas of the Christian life which have provoked such difficulties and discussions and hardships. So looking at some of the articles that teach our view on it will hopefully be helpful. We need to help things uh, become clear. I think the articles help in this space. In fact, Article 24 g- gives the church one way of making it clearer to people. Do you see Article 24? It's about praying and ministering the sacraments. How? In the people's tongue. Why have an article about that? Why is that a big deal? Because in the old days, the services were in Latin, which means what? Which means hardly anyone sitting in the, in the seats and the pews can understand what's going on. So, of course, uncertainty is going to arise. Of course, misunderstandings are going to creep in. Of course, superstitions are going to kind of come to the surface. And so one of the articles straight away is it needs to be in the language of the people so people can understand what's being said and what's being done. What a great article. So it's important for us to look at some of these things over these three weeks. So let me, I've got to um, move on, let me split the rest of our time up into two sections I just want to say a brief word on what the sacraments are and a brief word on what the sacraments aren't. So what firstly then what the sacraments are? I think personally, you can argue with me afterwards, but I think personally that the best easy to remember definition of sacraments, in my opinion, is a visible sign of an inward grace ordained by Christ. Let me say that again. Because I want to say that if you don't remember anything else, try and remember that phrase. A visible sign of an inward grace ordained by Christ. So there's three parts to it. So a visible sign, what does that mean? It means that unlike the preaching of the word, which is the other aspect of church ministry that's important, what happens with the preaching of the word? It's just the ear. But the sacraments, there's something visible. It engages the other senses. Baptism has water that you can see and feel and touch. 
The Lord's Supper has bread and wine that you can see and feel and touch. So it's a visible sign. But it's not just a visible sign. They are, they are significant, not in and of themselves, because water is just water and bread and wine is just bread and wine. They're significant in the inward grace that they signify. So, visible sign of an inward grace. What does it mean, an inward grace? Well, the water of baptism, what does that signify? Well, a few things, and we'll look at this next week, but here's a couple, new birth and being washed clean. That's what the water says. Now, the physical baptism, when I sprinkle some water on a baby up here, if you believe in that, or I take someone down to the pool like we've done because we do everything here. We take someone down to the pool and I dunk them in the pool. Have they been physically cleaned by me and given new birth by me in that outward visible sign? No, it's a symbol of what's the inward grace that the Holy Spirit has done within a person. But it, so it signifies visibly, visible uh, sign of an inward grace. Same with the Lord's Supper. What does that signify? Well, the bread and the wine signify the body and blood of Jesus given for us, given for our forgiveness. And as we eat that, we symbolise our partaking of him, uh, our being in him and he in us. Now, we're not doing that physically. It's not his physical body and blood, but we're visibly demonstrating and signifying the inward grace that the Lord works within us. So a visible sign of an inward grace ordained by Christ. This is one of the differences I'll speak about in a moment between the Anglicans and Roman Catholics in particular. We say that they have to be ordained by Jesus had to tell us to do them. And so Anglicans have always believed that three elements are necessary in sacraments, that there's a visible sign, uh, there's an invisible grace and that it's ordained by Christ. And this is a big deal. Why? Because we even argue over what sacraments are. Because, again, sacraments are a Latin word, not a biblical word. So you can't turn to the Bible and go, ah, John 4, 3. A sacrament is, and this is what it means. It's not there. We've had to work it out. And whenever we work it out, we get in trouble. So three elements for the Anglicans are visible sign and invisible grace ordained by Christ. But there's a a couple more things we can say about sacraments. So let's have a look at the main sacrament article, which is number 25. Of the sacraments... Sacraments ordained of Christ, we've covered that bit, be not only badges or tokens of Christians' profession, but rather they be sure witnesses and effectual signs of grace and God's will towards us, by the which he doth work invisibly in us and doth not only quicken, but also strengthen and confirm our faith in him. There are two sacraments ordained of Christ our Lord in the Gospel, that is to say baptism and the supper of the Lord. Now, we'll leave the rest of the article for a moment. I just want to focus on the first part because this language, again, is is technical but important. We've already seen that the sacraments are ordained of Christ. Then it says they're not only badges or tokens of Christian profession. Why? Why that? What's that getting at is there have been some people down through the years who thought that sacraments are just something you go through the motions of and there's nothing more to it. And this is saying they're not just that. It's not just a token, you know, I got baptised once, woo, that kind of thing. Saying there's more going on. They're not just a token or badge of Christian profession. They are that, but there's more. So it goes on to say what the more is. They are sure witnesses of grace. What is it, what's a witness of grace? Think about when you take communion. 
If we do it appropriately, there should be a witness there of the grace that we've received from the Lord. There should be a thankfulness that um, uh, is part of what we're doing at communion. It's a witness of that grace to ourselves, but also a witness to others. One of the important parts of the sacraments is they are always to be public. They're part of the church family. There's no provision for communion by yourself. It's always to be done as part of God's family. Same with baptism. So it goes on to say they're sure witnesses of, of grace. They're also effectual signs of grace and God's good will towards us by which he doth work invisibly in us. That's a really important phrase and I'm going to pick up on it in a moment because it's saying there's not something magic in the sacrament itself. It's that God works invisibly in us through the sacrament. That's going to be important in a, just in a moment. And how does he work? What does he work in us through the sacraments? Keep reading. It doth not only quicken but also strengthen and confirm our faith in him. Now notice the sacraments don't create faith. You don't get baptised and then, whoo, I've, I've got faith. You don't re- take communion and then, oh, I received faith. No, 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 it quickens. What does quicken mean? It means to arouse and stir up our faith. It strengthens our faith. It confirms our faith. So the, <clears throat> you can see that the sacraments are good, I hope. We're, next week we're going to look at the specifics of, of baptism and then the week after that the Lord's Supper. But here all I want to get across is that sacraments are a blessing. God nurtures, strengthens, fosters our faith through the sacraments. Doesn't create it through the sacrament, but fosters it, nurtures it, builds it up. Remember that phrase? A visible sign of an inward grace that Christ has ordained. So that's what the sacraments are. What are the sacraments not? Because remember, as I said before, sometimes we can hold on to more what it is by knowing what it's not. Two main things here. Firstly, there's not seven of them, according to the Anglican Church. Article 25, if we can put that back up again, John, are we on there? Article 25 explicitly refutes the Roman Catholic teaching that there are seven. Now remember, this is up for grabs because there's no language of uh, uh, the sacraments in the New Testament, so what is, what isn't? But Article 25 says explicitly that the other five, that is confirmation, penance, orders, what's orders? Ordination, the different levels of ordination, matrimony, and extreme unction. What's extreme unction? Sounds painful. It should be painful. It's uh, ministering to the sick, pouring oil and uh, that sort of thing over the sick. So Article 25 says that those other five are not counted. Why aren't they to be counted? Because partly, it says in the article, they've come about because of corrupt following of the apostles. That means bad teaching. So that's what the Protestants have believed about the Roman Catholic teaching on uh, certainly penance orders and extreme unction, that uh, the, there's wrong teaching there that isn't right. And partly because unlike baptism and the Lord's Supper, they're just areas of life without a visible sign or a ceremony ordained by God. Uh, marriage is the one uh, and confirmation. They're the other. So we reject those five. The second area of mistakes though uh, that, that um, uh, the sacraments aren't is the big one that I want to leave you with this morning. And it come, you can boil it down to its essence on this. It's thinking that the outward visible aspect is key. And when we do that, all sorts of little problems that become massive problems flow out of it. 
It works itself out in a number of ways and I think causes the biggest controversy on this issue. You can see it because as soon as the outward visible thing becomes the focus, well, certain Christians and churches teach only physical baptism saves a person or you have to be baptised by a certain person or a certain group of people for it to be valid or a certain way or, or when you take communion... The key is that you know that you're literally partaking of the physical, literal body and blood. of As soon as we start making the visible outward, we get into a number of difficulties with the sacraments. And the Anglican belief has always been there's nothing magical in the activities in and of themselves. It's the inward grace combined with the faith of a person. There's no faith, you're just eating bread and drinking wine. You're just having a bath or a sprinkle, depending on what you like. You know, those sorts of things. It's the inward grace and the faith of a person that makes the sacrament uh, important. That's one of the big differences between a Roman Catholic understanding and a Protestant one. They think more that the act itself is powerful and effective. We don't. Another aspect linked with this wrong emphasis on the physical, visible aspect can be seen in the last paragraph of Article 25, which you may have thought of was strange. It says there, the sacraments were not ordained of Christ to be gazed upon or to be carried about, but that we should duly use them. That may sound just ridiculous to your ears. Well, who gazes on them? Who carries them? This is the source of huge controversy within the church. How many superstitions have grown up over so-called holy water? How many superstitions have grown up over so-called consecrated bread and wine? We have issues in the Anglican Church over it now because there, there are certain strands within the Anglican Church that have this thing called the reserved sacrament which is thought of that it's been made holy uh, and so it's saved for communion in other spaces. That goes directly against what the Anglican Church has always taught, on, taught and believed on the Lord's Supper. There's huge amount. That's why this part is in the article. The sacraments were not ordained of Christ to be gazed upon or carried about but that should, we should duly use them. You do that when you focus on the external visible instead of the inward grace. The last area, this focusing on the external visible uh, that I want to finish with this morning is in the next article that's important in, in this, uh, on this topic. Look at Article 26. I love this. I think this is a really important article, not just for this but in lots of ways. Article 26, of the unworthiness of the ministers which hinders not the effect of the sacrament. I love the language here. Although in the visible church, remember this is the visible church, not the invisible heavenly church. Although in the visible church, the evil be ever mingled with the good. <laughs> Isn't that true? Although in the visible church, the evil be ever mingled with the good. And sometimes the evil have chief authority in the ministration of the word and the sacraments. Don't say amen. Um, yet, for as much as they do not the same in their own name, but in Christ's, and do minister by his commission and authority, we may use their ministry in hearing the word of God and in receiving of the sacraments. Why is this important? It's important because, let's say you've been baptised by a bishop who then, it come, discloses, has lived a double life and has fallen away. And, and sometimes people can go, oh goodness me, but I was baptised by them. And this is saying, you've got nothing to worry about. But it's saying more than that. There's a principle here which is really important in Christian life and in Christian ministry. I want you to think about this for a moment. There's a big difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament as to how people relate to God. In the Old Testament, a person needed a priest to minister on their behalf to God. 
I would go further and I would say that from reading the scriptures it looks impossible to be able to have a good relationship with God without a priest ministering on your behalf. The priest is the one that offers the sacrifices on your behalf. The priest is the one that uh, performs the ceremonies and the rites on your behalf. God set it up that way. Now, when I ask you today, do you need a priest? The answer is yes. Lots of Christians go, no, of course we don't need a priest. The scriptures say, yes, you do. You still need a priest to mediate on your behalf. But who is your priest? Let's say who it's not. It's not J.B. Thank goodness. <laughs> I'm in for that one. Brilliant. It's not J.B. It's not Bishop Victoria. It's not Pope Francis. Sorry, that's terrible. I apologise for that. Uh, there's a mind blank. Uh, they're not at your high priest. Your great high priest is Jesus Christ. He's the one that's done everything needed for you and for I. Do you still need things done on your behalf? Yes, you do. The good news is Jesus did it. Nowhere in the New Testament, there's a big change of language, Old Testament to New Testament. In the Old Testament, you read about priests all the time. In the New Testament, you don't read of priests. You only read of priest in the singular when it refers to Jesus Christ in the New Testament. It also, in Hebrews, refers to Melchizedek, but to show who Jesus is. The other time it mentions priest is always what? Plural. The priesthood of all believers. That's very important. He's the one who's done everything for you and I. Why is that important? Because it means that when fallen ministers like me or others let you down, does that mean that the ministry you've received is deficient or kind of... No, because Christ is your priest. He's the one that's done things. And he uses human agents in different ways, but he's the key. It's very important to, to know and understand that. We need a priest, we've got a priest. Read Hebrews, our high priest. And he's a great priest, better than, me, better than anyone because he sympathises, he understands and he's successful. I said um, at the camp, if you were at our church camp um, at the beginning of the year, uh, one of the difficulties that we had, I wasn't going to bring this up but because I spoke of Jimmy last week and I, um, one of the difficulties that people had was People had heard Jimmy preach from the front and then saw, when they spoke to me afterwards said, but I don't know what to... There were some things that he said that were, I found really helpful and really challenged me and I don't know what to make of that now. And I said publicly at that camp, hold on to that and give thanks to the Lord because it's Christ who ministers through fallen people. And so, there's different levels of fallen... You know, there's, we're all sinful, all fallen in one sense. There are some who completely turn their back on the Lord. There, there, there's different kind of... Ca- but it's Christ that ministers through. It doesn't matter at one level who baptised you. It doesn't matter at one level that who gives you uh, the Lord's Supper. What matters is Christ behind it. It's a really important principle there. The sacraments are good. I need to wrap up. The sacraments are good. They're, they are a blessing unlike most blessings in the Christian life because so much of our Christian life and walk is about the unseen, not the seen. Living by faith, not by sight. Do you see the difference in the sacraments? Visible, tangible. They're done together as brothers and sisters in Christ. There's something very profound and meaningful about them. But the very aspect that differentiates them, that visible, physical aspect, can become the danger and the downfall. 
uh, if we focus on that at the, ex- you know, the extent of the other. The key is the great high priest standing behind it. The key is the bread of heaven. The key is the Lamb of God. The key is the one who's doing the washing, not the water or, or the method. If we focus on him and his role, that'll stand us in, in good stead. I've got to finish. Next week we'll try and look at baptism and the Lord's Supper. We need prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us the sacraments. Forgive us those times when we argue over them. I'm not saying we shouldn't think strongly on them, that we shouldn't be thankful for them, we shouldn't work out a position on them, but we apologise for those times when that's been done in an ungracious spirit, but we thank you for them this morning. We thank you that you give us not just your promises, but these signs. We thank you that you give us things that are visible and tangible, and they encourage and nurture our faith and trust in you. And I pray that you'd be with us as a church family as we wrestle with uh, these difficult uh, issues over the, the next two weeks. Please be with us and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.